You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. And these are the inflexible alternatives before us today, uh, too. And how much of what we're now experiencing uh, was unavoidable? How much could we avoid in the future if we made different decisions today? Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 331. And our title this week is A Path Towards Societal Equity. Our feature text is Luke 21, 5 through 9. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one will be left, not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Most scholars today date the Gospel of Luke after the events described in Luke 21. In this passage, Luke's Jesus lays out two potential paths for his society, each with its own outcome. The disciples are remarking on the the physical beauty of the temple, but Jesus sees instead a system that exploited the poor, widows within a patriarchal community, and other marginalized people. He saw it as a political and economic symbol of that systemic exploitation. The difference in perspective, I think, explains Jesus's table-flipping protest in the temple courtyard. Remember, the temple was the capital of the temple state. And as we must say repeatedly, whenever reading the latter half of Luke's Gospels, Christians have a long history of interpreting passages like this in anti-Semitic ways. But the passage is not a critique of Judaism or Jewish people. It's a critique of a civic and economic system, not a religious one. Jesus is not complaining about Judaism, his own religion. His complaint instead is about the power brokers, the economic elites, those privileged in the Jerusalem temple state who resisted his teachings and the distributive economic justice teachings in the Torah also, and as well as the the, the Hebrew prophets. The text is not anti-Jewish. It's opposed to any system that is rooted in exploitation and and valuing product or production and profit uh, over people. Today's climate for those that are deemed essential workers during our present pandemic, is similar. As the Swift author Max Frisch wrote, we asked for workers uh, and we got people instead. Any society produces tension when systemic injustice is designed to benefit a few at the top of society at the expense of the masses on the margins and, and the undersides. Jesus responds, to the people by warning them 
not to follow violent messiahs. After the fact, we can see how the tension between the haves and the have-nots of Jesus' society in the latter half of the first century, it finally did erupt into protest and then war and finally desolation. Stating that these violent false messiahs would come, Jesus offers the people another path, a path of hope mixed with persecution and turmoil. The passage follows in Luke 21, 10 through 19. Then he said, to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events, great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. So you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, But they and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. The context of this whole section is vital. Just before this week's passage, the passage we're looking at this week, Luke reminds us of how positively the people were responding after Jesus' protest in the temple. In Luke 19, the previous chapter, verses 47 through 48, or the two previous chapters uh, before what we're reading, it states, Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find a way to do it because all all the people hung on his words. Jesus was not rejected by the people. He was silenced by the powerful and elite of his society who had everything to lose if the people continued to follow him and if the systemic changes that he taught actually took root. Luke then reminds us, again, this is Luke 21, 37 through 38, each day Jesus was in the temple teaching. Each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. The picture we get from Luke is that this was a time in Jesus's ministry when it looked as if society might be turning a corner and actually becoming more economically and distributively just. There was momentum that was building among the masses. And this brings to mind recent movements in in U.S. politics, too, just before uh, the pandemic. According to Luke, those surrounding Jesus as he speaks are our farmers forced by taxes and debt to become day laborers. They're also the destitute and the, the starving who've been drawn to Jesus and, 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 and Jesus's promise that God's just future would restructure society in their favor. You find that in Luke 6, 20 through 26. Jerusalem at this time was a large 
poverty center. The streets were lined with with, with beggars, and, and a significant section of the population of Jerusalem lived chiefly and entirely on charity. Jesus' words gave this crowd hope. And yes, Jesus speaks in these passages of expected persecution and arrest and imprisonment. The revolution or the movement would grow, and it, like all movements, would receive negative pushback from those in positions of privilege who benefited from and controlled the status quo. Yet even that backlash would be used to to bear testimony or raise awareness and move toward greater societal consciousness. Then, Then things become incredibly detailed. And remember, Luke was written after these events took place. It would have been almost impossible for someone in Luke's space and time not to attempt to connect uh, these dots for us. This is Luke 21, 20 through 24. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city, for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. Luke's gospel claims that the poor people's revolt, the the Jewish and Roman war, and the events that followed in its wake all resulted from those in positions of power rejecting a path towards systemic distributive justice. And and we now know how that all played out historically. Again, the poor people's revolt grew into an all-out open war with Rome in the Jewish-Roman War of, of 66 to 69 CE. And in Luke's gospel, though, Jesus was saying that, that once there was war, once it got to this stage, then hope was lost. It, it would be time to leave. It would be time to get out. No more revolution or societal transformation for Jerusalem uh, would be possible. We know that Rome's retaliation, it was catastrophically violent. Luke's gospel claims that that all of it, though, was avoidable. I wonder how much of what we're going through right now in the U.S., is also was also avoidable. Recently, I listened to New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda uh, Ardern, and she addressed the New Zealanders in a, a, a late night talk, and I was honestly moved to tears. I wish we had a leader in the U.S. like her. She's not politicized the pandemic. She's not divided the people along partisan lines. She she refused to do that. Instead, she brought uh, her citizenship uh, uh, together. And New Zealand, it did. It pulled together, uniting in its citizenry. And it acted quickly in the context of, of greater social safety nets that New Zealand has that that we don't hear and universal access to health care, lower rates of inequity and economic support for its citizens during a shutdown. New Zealand has now effectively eliminated COVID-19 from its population. The U.S. uh, crested over 100,000 deaths from COVID-19 that same week, and I sat in silence 
after listening uh, to Prime Minister Ardern, uh, wondering what might have been here in the U.S. Uh, uh, had things been different. I, I couldn't help but see that much of what we're now experiencing here in the U.S. would have been avoidable if we had just had competent leadership. And much as in our own passage, our massive loss of life here, it was avoidable. And, and the coming economic fallout that is in our future because of this, that is avoidable too. Luke's Jesus called for a transformation to a more just, a more equitable society. And even with all the pushback from the status quo, if societies become more just, they avoid an eventual implosion that accompanies societies repeatedly not choosing more justice over and over again. Every generation faces these inflexible alternatives, transformation or eventual implosion. And these are the inflexible alternatives before us today, uh, too. And how much of what we're now experiencing uh, was unavoidable? How much could we avoid in the future if we made different decisions today? Heart group application, uh, we at Renewed Heart Ministries, again, we're continuing to ask all of our heart groups not to meet together physically at this time. Please stay virtually connected and and practice physical distancing. When you go out, please keep a, a six-foot distance between you and others. Wear a mask and, and continue to wash your hands to stop the spread of the virus. This is also a time where we can practice, again, the resource sharing and the mutual aid that's found in the Gospels. Make sure that others in your heart group have what they need. Uh, this is a time to, to work together and prioritize protecting those among you that are most vulnerable. And come up with new ways of how you can take care of each other while we are physically apart. Our application this week, number one, share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode uh, with your heart group. Number two, uh, what social equity changes would you like to see, both within your own faith community as well as in our larger society to which we also belong? Discuss that with your group. We had a great discussion. I lead a, a Zoom heart group on Wednesday nights uh, with a group in Southern California. We had a great discussion uh, this past week on very similar topics. Number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Discuss with your group and then pick something from the discussion to put into practice this upcoming week. Thanks for checking in with us Where right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Music.